Yeah, that's like here. I've got a friend of mine. He's got 12 acres, and he raises, I think he's got about five or six at a time. They're grass-fed, and they eat mash that he gets uh, left over from a microbrewery. And then I've got a a farmer that we deal with, Farmer Carol, and she always has six or seven over on a 50-acre piece of land but that's what they do and then you can order you know the, the full cow the half cow a quarter and then you know you got a little mm-hmm. sheet and you check it off depending on what you want the butcher how you want them to cut it up and then there's you know you, yep. you can either have it brought to your butcher here or most of them have a butcher they contract with now now what you were talking about right so the land that you're working uh so so when you're working you're actually working for the rancher is that generally how your contract yes. works yeah Okay, and then the ranchers. Yeah, my work. Yep. And then the the ranchers, some of the land that they're operating on is controlled by the federal government via the the forestry department. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's United States National Forest land. Okay, so the ranchers have contracts with what the federal government, like leasing land from them. Is that how that works? Well, they. They own, they, they buy what is called the allotment. The perm, there's a permit that they buy from the government for specific allotments. And they have a certain number of head of cattle that'll be on each permit or each allotment. Um, so, like, if somebody is, retires, like there's a rancher that I, I grew up with, his sons, he just decided. So he sold his permit to a couple and so he never, no longer runs on the mountain anymore. And for where we're at, and see, well, that gets all another deal. But where we're at, you have to have what is called commensary land. You have to have a certain number of, you have to own a specific amount of land to be able to maintain your cows for, for the whole year, for the, for the whole time that you would be on the permit. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then there's other allotments where you're not required to have commensary land. So what you would do if you want to sell the allotment, what you do is you, you can sell it to anybody and the cows go with it. So you sell, sell basically you're just selling your cows at a premium price uh-huh. because then you ha- they have what, what the, the permit comes with those cattle. And then the cows have to stay with that permit for one year to the new owner. And yeah, you just the so federal, yeah, they, go- they the federal government fees to the forest. The federal government sure makes it complicated, don't they? <laughs> look well, they do. And look they make money at it. Yeah, look how difficult it is for you to even explain that. I, I had asked you on the on the phone when we talked, just because I think it helps people put it into context, because a lot of folks had um, listened to, sort of studied the whole Bundy versus the Bureau of Land Management years ago. A similar thing, right? They had right. cattle grazing on Bureau of Land Management controlled property. And then there was some battle going on where the BLM had, had taken over the land, I think, from the state of Nevada, right? And then the Bundys were yep. saying they refused to pay the federal government. They were going to pay the state. I mean, it was a similar circumstances. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, and so, okay, so now when you go, you're working for the rancher, and then you're riding on uh, federal land, right? Because you said, well, in some cases they have to own land, and then in other cases some of the land, they have to own land to rent from the federal government. I mean, it's complex, so I don't want to dissect it all. I'm just trying to understand um, how it works. No, they just have to own their own land for where we're at, but then they they have this land that they – yeah, for lack of a better term, they lease from the government that they, they're able to do. And so it's all on the land. They have to own their land at home, down here in the private land area. Wherever mm-hmm. they own land, it doesn't matter. But then we run the cows. So on the allotment that I run, they generally start turning cattle out onto the mountain June 14th. And then I ride until usually the middle part um, to the end of, well, usually the very beginning of November is when I ride. So the cows are on the mountain and in my control for four, four and a half months out of the year on the, on the forest. Okay. Now, let me ask you, I, I just want to ask you this, and you might not know, but it's something that I've looked into as I've been researching over time, uh, you know, lab cultured, like lab grown meat, 3D printed meat, the impossible burger stuff, all that kind of, all that kind of thing. Cause, um, what I find to be fascinating is down the road, and it's actually happening now, this lab-cultured meat, as far as I could see, Congress looks at that meat that's grown in a lab as the same as a cattle, you know, grazing in a field, because they're claiming that they're growing the meat based on cells that they've taken from the cattle versus say like impossible burger or something that's made from soy cakes or something like that the numbers i've seen that well the numbers i've seen well it's this is the interesting part i want to know at what point and i don't buy meat from the grocery store anymore i only go to local uh ranchers and local farmers and stuff we we started doing that right about a year ago, 100%. We don't mess with the grocery stores. Because I'm waiting for the day that I walk into the grocery store and, you know, a, a chuck roast is grown in a lab, but they're not going to tell me that. They're just going to sell it to me like it's a chuck roast. Uh, the numbers I've seen is it right. says Americans eat 34 million cattle and calves a year. I mean, now you're obviously only working one area, but being in the industry since 2010, I'm sure you've met a lot of cowboys and ranchers and stuff in your career. In the United States, do we have the ability to actually raise and slaughter 34 million cows a year? Is that possible? As long as the government stays out of it, yeah, we do. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it just seems like you just told me you're working a. Um, 40 to 50,000 acre piece of land with, you said it was uh, 1,958, but you said it was like three to 4,000. I'm just thinking 34 million. Now I know, is it King Ranch? Is, right. is that the largest one is King Ranch? I don't know. I haven't looked at it that in a while. That's one of the bigger ones. They're out of Texas. Uh, yeah, the King Ranch is out of Texas. But see, like, just to give you a little bit of background, like on the allotment that I ride, um, my dad started riding as a pool rider when he was 12 years old. He did it, started did it from 12 years old through high school. But when dad was riding the, the allotments around, I think the allotment that I was on was right around five to 6,000 head of cows. And now it's at 1,958. So you don't got to be the head cashier at Walmart to know that 
that something's changed, something's different. And they're like the allotment that my, my wife's father owned um, here on the Grand Mesa when she was a child, they actually, part of the permit was where the ski resort is. And it's gone now. The environmentalists, the, the liberal minded people got rid of it. They, you know, cattle are killing the land, you know, type of deal. So it's gone. So not only are the numbers decreasing on these allotments, but they're being taken away. And then like the ski resort, they didn't have to groom or not groom, but mow the, the ski trails during the summer because why? There's cattle up there. The Forest Service was making money, not a lot, but they're making money on the, on the assessment fees. And the cattle were on the ski runs during the summertime eating the grass. Now that's gone. The, for, the, the ski resort, because they only have a, they have a permit too to run their ski resort on the national forest, just like the ranchers do. But now the, the, for, now the ski resort has to pay money out through fuel and man hours, wages, to have the guys go mow those ski resort, those ski runs during the summer. So the, the government goes having income to not having income and decreasing it so yeah I, there's a lot of theories and so on and so forth but the numbers are decreasing where i when i was a kid here there were more ranches and they were bigger now everybody wants their slice of heaven in western western colorado and land is at a premium because mm-hmm. you know like when i moved into into the eagle county area in 97 the billionaires with a b were pushing the millionaires out and that has continued to move down I-70, well, both ways on I-70, between Vail and Denver and from Vail to Grand Junction, because Aspen's not too far away. So everybody wants their slice of heaven. They're willing to pay the exorbitant prices of real estate. And so where I grew up, it was a ranching community. We went grocery shopping once a month. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to Grand Junction. You just didn't. Now where I live, it's a bedroom community. People live here, sleep here. And they work uh, elsewhere. And so it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the number of cattle, but we could. We could. But through government regulation and government intervention, as it is right now, where it is, no, we couldn't do 24 million or 34 million head of cattle. But then you go to places like Florida. Florida is one of the top, they're usually number one or number two as a cattle producer, as a, as a cattle producing state. And it's hard to believe until I, when I was rodeo, when I rodeoed down there in Florida and driving through that state, you're like, holy crap, there's cattle everywhere. And all you know, you think about Florida, at least me growing up, you think about, you know, Miami, you think about the beaches mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it's, there's monstrous amount of cattle, Texas, same thing. But as it is right now, where we're at, it's going to take, it's going to take something drastic to get it back to where it could be that way. But I mean, in rural land, yeah, you could, and it, you could only, you could even do it where you produce your own cattle. You know, not everybody mm-hmm. wants to, not everybody may have the interest in doing it, but it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, you could have, you know, a cow, you know, and you could, you, that's where you could start to get into community, you know, like yeah. that ranch I worked in Wyoming. She had 9,000 acres, ran about eight, seven, 800 head of cows. She had 34, 35 bulls. And she was literally looking at selling her bulls and going into a lease program and just leasing bulls from a ranch 
So when she needed to, to get her cows bred, have the bulls shipped in, run them on her place with her cows to get everything bred, then ship the bulls back. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been around bulls, they're pretty destructive. I mean, not much really phases them. You know, they're, they, they, they hurt each other. They break a lot of things. You know, you got to handle, you got the maintenance in them, feeding them and so forth. So you got things like that, even on a small scale, like if my wife and I, when we finally get our, get, start getting some cows again, I'm not going to get a bull. You know, you, you can borrow or lease a bull from somebody around here. You can borrow a bull because generally in the summertime, they're looking for someplace to be because not everybody's on the mountain. Mm-hmm. So they got bulls they want to do something with. So I'll take him for, you know, a month and run him with my cow and get her bred, you know. So you can you can do things like that. And like my the last herd that my dad had before he officially retired from ranching, which I don't, it's more of a catchphrase than anything. He didn't retire and <laughs> make anything. He just quit because he got, <laughs> but he he never paid one dime for his cows. He didn't mm-hmm. buy any of his cows. He did a lease program with a friend and would lease his cows. And so he would take, um, dad would get 70% of the calf crop and the guy who's leasing the cows would take 30% of the calf crop. Mm-hmm. And so over time, my dad just kept running the same cows, taking care of them, doing, just running them like they were his. And then when the cows, when it come time to wean the calves, then Chuck would get his calves they would separate them off. Chuck would take his pick. And so dad had a, well, a very good herd of cows built up that he never paid a dime for. He owned them outright by doing a lease program. So there's always ways, again, it goes back to that whole thing, thinking outside the box. But, you know, everybody thinks, well, cows are expensive. Well, sure they are. But think about a way to do it. You know, there's those organizations out there like Ranching for Profit. My dad, he and I went to one of their seminars here Oh, probably mm-hmm. 15 years ago. No, not quite that long. But anyway, I did that. And it's all about learning how to run ranching, farming, or mostly ranching as a business. Right. And growing up, everybody wants to get into ranching and farming because in 99.99% of the people say it for the same reason, because of the lifestyle. They want to be with, they want to be with their kids. They want to be, they want the lifestyle. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, once you've done it, I mean, I was raised in it, so I, I, I don't want to do anything else. And I've been, I've done went the other way, like we've talked about, but when you're doing it, most people, they do it for the lifestyle, but they work themselves into the ground because they're in, they're cut. The matrix is everywhere. Right. And Mm -hmm. you think you have to work harder and you do, but like when I was on that ranch in Wyoming, she was switching over and she was the same age as my dad. So she's 76 years old now. And she was switching over to become a regenerative grazing ranch. She wanted to get away from haying and to just have, to just run her cows and you would, you, you run the cows in specific areas, different ways. So that way you're, you're stockpiling your feed. You're letting your feed grow up in areas for 12 months and you don't touch that feed for 12 months. You don't hay it. You have enough hay on hand. And so like one of the ranches that she um, had me watching videos and reading books on this stuff, and Jim Garrish, I think, is the guy who wrote the book that I, uh, one of the books that I read. And they talk about, you know, he's, he's taught ranchers in Minnesota, all, all over the world, actually, literally all over the world. But in Minnesota, where, I mean, we have, we have winter in Colorado, but they get three times the winter we do, the amount of snow. And there's ranches in Minnesota that 
go the whole winter without feeding a flake of, a flake of hay because they stockpile their feed. Now they have hay on hand. Mm-hmm. So when there's major storms come through, because you can't predict the, the weather, you can't predict the future. But when those storms come through, yeah, you take care of your cows, you feed them to get them through the storm. But you have the specific cows for your land, the breeds that are able to forage and graze and work for a living. And that's the way they've been raised. And that's they're 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 not they're not subsidized mollycoddled cattle. They go work. So as soon as the storm's done, what do they want to do? They go right back to digging for feed, just like cows and just like deer and elk and the mm-hmm. moose. They, they go out and they forage on their own. They look for that feed. They know it's there. So as soon as they start doing that, you stop feeding them hay. You just have enough hay on hand. And one of the videos that she had me watching of a rancher about my age in Canada, they have, they have more severe winters in Canada than Colorado. And he said, haying is a drug. It is. It's, it's an addiction. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, again, we don't think outside the box. This is the way my dad did it. This is the way my granddad did it. This is the way it's always been done. And, and, and that's a killer statement. I mean, that literally, you're handcuffed at that point, right? And so he finally sold all of his haying equipment. And haying equipment is very expensive. Start looking into the prices of balers and swathers. You're talking six figures a lot of times. I mean, it's mm-hmm. big money. He finally sold it all. And the person interviewing him said, so what does your summer look like now? Because, you know, you got irrigation, you got hay in, all this, you know, putting it up. Everything goes into that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I asked him, so what do your summers look like now? And he said, we do a lot of fishing. I, I enjoy my children. We, we want to go when, we, when it's time to go work the cows, we ride the cows, we work them, we do what we need to do. And then when we're done, eh, we go fishing because the cows are where they need to be for the next couple of days. We just go, we go on vacation. Mm-hmm. So that's the lifestyle that everybody wants, but we work ourselves to the bone because we're, you got to pay the man, right? You got to do this. You got to do that. We can't, we don't get out of the system. And so these people are starting all areas of life are starting to go, you know what, how can I get out of having to work myself to the bone? Not that works bad. Not that you're going to have days where you're going to have those, you know, 25 hour days. Right. But one of those every now and then is okay. But when it's every day, when you have a day job and you have to go home and feed your cows and you're calving your cows out. So when calving your cows out in the wintertime means every two hours you get up and you go out through the herd, check them and make sure that everybody's okay. If there's somebody starting to calve a young heifer or something, you got to trail them into the barn or make sure that she's not having problems. And then on top of all that, you still got to make it to work on time. So Mm -hmm. how are you enjoying the lifestyle? You're not. You're, you're a slave to the system. And so these guys that, you know, that she introduced me to that I'm seeing, they're like, I, I want to do this, but for different reasons. And I want to make it work for me, you know? So that's, that's kind of where I'm going. I want to, I'm only small scale, you know? I mean, we're not even quite there yet, but we've got our own chickens. So we have our own eggs and the price of eggs has gone through the ceiling here because our wondrous or lustrous governor here in Colorado made it so you can no longer have caged, you know, the, the typical chickens. They have to be cage-free eggs, which I'm, I'm fine with. I, I get that whole deal. I completely agree. But not only that, but then with this whole, you know, quote-unquote flu that they've had to kill these millions of chickens over, there's a shortage, I think, a, a created shortage of eggs. So, but we're at least producing our own, we've got our own eggs. 
You know, I've got two sheep rams. If I need to butcher one of them, I can go do that. And that's what I want to do. Start learning how I've got friends that know how to that run butcher slaughter businesses. And then you can teach people like we were talking the other day, teach people how to do these things. Even if I, I don't have the means right now, my brother-in-law was a butcher for a while. You know, good friend, Ronnie was a butcher, ran a slaughter business. So if I can get to the, the shed, get my bandsaw and have my freezers, I can do my own animals here and I can have somebody teach me with no government intervention because the government doesn't care you know, unless I sell it. Right. And then I have mm-hmm. to get a hold of a brand inspector. But if some, if my neighbor doesn't have the means to do it and last year, you know, with the whole pandemic deal, there was up to six, eight, eight months that the, you couldn't get your cows into the butcher. It was, there was so overwhelmed. And so, you know, you want a butcher, but you can't get them in there. Well, it's time, you know, they were there at wait there. It's, this is the prime time to do it. And if you can't get them into a place, well, I'd like to have the deal set up where I can say, yeah, come here. We'll do it. We'll just do it together. We'll spend a day and we'll just, we'll butcher your, your beef for you and mm. not take cash payment. Say, you know what? I need some fence work done. How about, you know, do that or barter. You know what I'm saying? That's all cash is. That's all money is. It's bartering. It's just the government has convinced us all to believe there is value in it. No, your time is what the, is where the value is. Your time. Exactly. You know? It's your, you time, your time. Your, something that, that pays you back. Yeah, it's your time, your creativity, your skill set. I mean, that, that's why in an ideal yep. situation, you know, the, the big hurdle that I think most people that are interested in living one foot outside of the matrix now, the big hurdle everyone is facing now is being able to figure out that first step in how they're going to get that chunk of change in their pocket to be able to go buy. Even 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 if you start with two acres, you know, two, three, four, five acres, depending yep. on where you're going. That's the first piece. All right. Then the second piece that when yep. I'm talking to friends of mine that say they want to go homestead or or kind of live one foot outside the matrix, uh, because we live in a world now where you can find somewhat remote work. So if you still need to step in the matrix to make food coupons, like you said, you're trading your labor for mm-hmm. pieces of paper, you know, that are equivalent to how much, uh, right. you know, your skills or whatever. Okay. So you can, you can figure out how to work remotely to get some of that fiat cash, uh, until they switch us over to central bank digital currency that you need to buy certain things to start building out your homestead. But the more that you can grow, the more you can produce uh the more you can raise if it's in the form of meat on your land and now first step is feed your family if you can feed your family okay that's a big expense that you just wiped off that's money you don't have to go make in the system now number two like you said exactly. if you if you can build a community of folks around you that you can barter with so if you happen to have a ram that you slaughter Right. And now you can give some of that meat to somebody who's going to give you three sacks of potatoes for the winter because you don't grow potatoes. Now you have the ability to barter. Then if you have a service or a skill, like you said, hey, I can butcher. So if somebody says, listen, I've got a a cow I need to butcher. You say, listen, come over. We'll butcher it together. I get to keep a quarter of the cow. Now, all of a sudden, you've got that meat. All these different things that you can do where you don't have to actually go earn fiat currency. 
Uh, it's just the first big step is being able to buy the land, making sure you're buying a piece of land that could produce what you want it to do, right? You don't want to rush out and buy three or four acres that you think is a great deal in West Virginia or Tennessee or something, and then you find out the soil's polluted or the stream running through it is polluted, or it turns out, uh, even out in West Virginia, you could find these five, six acre pieces of land. If you're not careful, you'll find out that that actually was an HOA, a homeowners association. The next thing you know, you can't, you figure out you can't actually do any farming on that land. So you're screwed. You bought right. basically a worthless piece of land. There's other areas in West Virginia that are completely, because that's where we've been looking, completely unrestricted. So I could buy five or 10 acres right. in West Virginia. I could do whatever the hell I want on that land. And the property tax is like $200 a year, whether you build a mansion, a swimming pool, a farm, or whatever you're doing, because they actually don't even have a tax uh, inspector that goes out there and looks at the land. So these are right. all the things I'm trying to, we're going to be working on in 2023 on the show, is talking to more guests like yourself, uh, the gentleman I had on uh, on Saturday. Uh, he also uh, knows all about butchering as well. He was raised to, to learn how to hunt. So these are all the things for people that are interested in doing this to, to where I say you need to be realistic about it. You need to do your homework. You need to understand it because you don't want to jump into it and then set yourself up for failure. You know, I, I mean, that's always exactly. what uh, I'm afraid of. Like, I don't want to jump in and then I go, oh, crap, I can't grow the garden here that yeah. I thought I could because the soil's destroyed, you know. Well, yeah, it's like here, you know, we here in Western Colorado at our elevation, we're just, we're not very high. We're about 6,000 feet elevation. And for, for you, you're probably hearing 6,000 feet going, good God, that's pretty high. But, mm-hmm. you know, we also have, you know, 14,000 feet mountains around us too. So we're pretty low in perspective. So our growing season is short. That's why canning, you know, my growing up, my grandmother and my mom, canned they grew gardens my grandparents my dad's mom and dad they had a it was probably an acre garden and they lived in town but the family kind of helped would help grandma and granddad take care of the garden so when it was harvest season we all got some of the strawberries we all got some of the corn we all got all of part of the bounty out of it right and then grandma and mom would can you know and store that stuff in root cellars and grandma you know they had a root cellar they also had a cellar inside their barn you know so when you start looking into this, it can be like you're like you're saying, it can be kind of daunting and it kind of there's a lot to it. Start small. Just even thinking about it is is starting. You know, like I was talking to my sister last night. She lives down in Grand Junction. It's about fifty thousand population. And there's people that live in Grand Junction that have their own little chicken coop. They probably have, you know, not very many, but they probably got their own three or four or five chickens. So you can do that. You can start your own little, you know, like a yard. Everybody in America has a yard. It's a waste of water. It's a, it keeps things cool, sure. But what we found here the last several years, just us, you know, with our drought, we don't, our well is not good enough. We're not on city water. We have a well, but it's mm-hmm. not a big enough production. The well doesn't produce enough to, to water our lawn. So we irrigate it with our irrigation water when we order water and we haven't had much irrigation water because if there's no snow on the mountains, there's no water in California. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so if you don't have a long growing season and you don't have a lot of water, you got to be creative. So start thinking about greenhouses, even just small things, you know, have 
figure out like we've got one tomato plant that we've kept over this year and it's still it's just a small tomato plant but we're keeping it in the house keeping it in the window and it's still producing tomatoes on it you know but i'd like to have a greenhouse and then have a way to you know learning how to can food learning how to be able to store meat like they did a hundred years ago before they had freezers well they canned meat too you know you can store it in salt you can think back i mean like we had the whole toilet paper shortage what were how were people wiping their butt a hundred years ago they didn't have toilet paper i mean <laughs> we've gotten yeah. so so far away from nature and people that actually had to live you know some a, a toilet paper crisis for god's sake people wake up i mean we're, we, that's you know that's that whole thing was kind of an indication of where society is and we've got there's i think we're starting to be in a tipping point where we can get back to real living and i'm not saying yeah. it's easy living but i'm saying it's it's living i don't want to i don't want to i talked to my dad several years ago he's like well, what am i going to retire to i'm going to i'm going to live and now he's got a music career you know he's 76 years old and he's got a music career now i mean so everybody race to the grave why are we in a race to the grave just live life try and slow down Mm -hmm. But, you know, everything is about now, 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 immediate. I don't want immediate. I want, you know, learn to enjoy the, the journey. Enjoy, you know, get up in the morning, you throw the covers back, and the risks start increasing exponentially. Man, embrace it. We're all going to die. But I want to I wanna, I wanna be healthy. I want to be happy while I'm alive. And I don't worry about death. I mean, I've, I've been on death's doorstep more times than I probably had any. I, I was not wise in my younger days, obviously, with my careers. But <laughs> don't be afraid to live. I mean, everybody's afraid to die. You're going to die. Nobody gets out alive. Man, learn how to live. Live. Love your neighbor. Take care of your neighbor. Take care of yourself. You know, and stop trying to. We are. We're, in, we're afraid of. We're afraid to die, and we're in a race to the grave at the same time. And that dichotomy, people don't see it. You know, yeah. they don't see it. They're not living. I mean, I remember seeing it when I was at the sheriff's office. The average cost of a family, a single family home in Eagle County was like $350,000. And this was around the 2000s, early 2000s. That's insane. And people were moving out there in droves because they wanted their piece of heaven. So they would buy their $500,000 house with a homeowners association where they had to do everything the homeowners association told them. And then the wife had two jobs and the husband had two jobs. And the kids were in the public indoctrination system. Oh, yeah, they were living, they were living the dream, right? They never even knew each other. You know, they would have their blow-ups and taking the husband to jail because he beat his wife, because he's stressed out, and she's stressed out. You know, they have babysitters taking care of the kids. They don't know each other. And I'm like, I ain't doing this. There's no way I'm doing this. This yeah. is not living.